Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm Dean Jones, your host, and we're going into Season 8, Episode 1 right now. And just saying that sounds so thrilling to me. You know, I've been doing this for a year and a half now, and I've interviewed over 100 people. And I tell you, it just gets better and better, and I love it more and more. I have a busy job as a librarian that I do every week. And, you know, I have a, I have a big family. If you've been listening, uh, you've heard me talk about that quite a bit. So I'm really busy. I often have despaired that I won't have time to continue to um, do the podcast, but, you know, I, I just don't want to stop it because I love doing it so much and I love, you know, interviewing people and presenting it to you guys. So I hope that you like it as much as me and you'll keep listening along with me as long as I get to do this because I just feel like this is a gift and I love it so much. Today I'm talking to um, someone you've, I know you've heard of, you've probably seen her on TV, Ariel Fox, star of Hell's Kitchen. And uh, if you've, you know, followed her on TV, you've seen that she was on episode season six of Hell's Kitchen, where she uh, was in third place, which is no small feat. And she was the winner of season 18, where she uh, got to claim the title that year. And uh, she's gone on to be the regional vice president of Landry's Del Frisco and Dos Caminos restaurants, not just managing one but two restaurants, which is amazing to me. And she has a new book coming out tomorrow as of this airing, which is on Monday. So if you're hearing this on another day, it's probably already out. It's Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Cuisine. It's just a magnificent book full of wonderful flavors, very inventive. In many ways, this is really her own cookbook. I'm not going to say this is a type of cookbook. I really hasten to pigeonhole this because... While it is about Latin and Caribbean cuisine and flavors, it's really just a great cookbook in general with a lot of really solid, wonderful recipes that just happen to be healthy. Uh, I tell you, um, you're going to love everything in this cookbook. Um, I really, really heartily recommend this. I know you hear me say that a lot, but I'll tell you, I really love this cookbook. Um, I've made three things of this so far, and I'm looking at making more. I already got other things planned from the cookbook coming up. As we get into fall, a, a lot of the soups are going to be major hits in my house. And of course, the uh, pozole rojo is just one that I've made for my family, and they want to eat again. Uh, we had no leftovers on that one. That one went completely. So uh, this is a good cookbook. So coming out tomorrow, Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Cuisine, as of this listening on Monday. I'm going to take you to my conversation with the wonderful and very generous with her time, Ariel Fox. And on we go. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I am very excited today to have Ariel Fox on the podcast Ariel is a contestant on season six and 18 of Hell's Kitchen. She ranked in third place in season six, and on season 18, she was named the winner. She is a regional vice president of Landry's Del Frisco and Dos Caminos restaurants, and has a new book out this week of airing, Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Cuisine. Ariel, welcome to the program. Hello, thank you for having me. Errol, I want to begin, uh, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I saw in, in my research that your birthday is October 31st, and that is exciting. It's my favorite holiday. So how has that been growing up for you, having that holiday? How funny. It's mine, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I actually, for me, that's like the kickoff for the entire holiday season, and I'm such a nut. Um, starting October 1st through December 31st, I just... I shine. That's my favorite time to entertain. I decorate my house. I will write from Halloween to Thanksgiving to Christmas. So 
uh, I absolutely loved it growing up. I thought everybody was knocking on my door to wish me a happy birthday, or at least that's what my parents told me about the trick-or-treaters. So it was definitely fun growing up. Now you're, um, I'm in the Bay Area and you're, you're a local, you're from Santa Cruz, which I think loosely is the larger Bay Area. And what was it like growing up there and how did it influence your career in food? I loved growing up in Santa Cruz. I mean, I didn't realize until I left to move to Southern California in my, my 20s that, you know, what a special childhood I had there. I mean, the Bay Area is so wonderful, particularly, you know, being in the Monterey Bay. Uh, I mean, just California in general, the, the produce, this, the seasons are different. You know, uh, I just grew up in a very kind of, I would call it quote unquote granola environment. Um, you know, just really in touch with nature and in touch with, uh, you know, health and, and all of those things that I didn't really value until much later in my life. But I realized that the foundation was definitely built uh, growing up in Santa Cruz. So um, now I wanted to ask you about culinary school. Where did you attend and what was the experience like for you to attend culinary school? So I actually went to culinary school in Southern California in Pasadena at the Cordon Bleu, and it's actually not there anymore, um, but it was the California School of Culinary Arts Cordon Bleu program. And it was really special. I mean, this was before all of the, you know, Food Network stuff and everything kind of blowing up. So it was, it was still very much uh, a trade that not very many people went into. And, uh, you know, I had a very long program. Um, I did a two year program and then another two years uh, you know, so it was very intense. It was an intense hospitality program, and uh, it's definitely much different than it is today. I think you pay about twice as much today, and you get half half the length of the education. But um, it was a special time. It was competitive. I remember just really having the most intense chef instructors that that some of them probably wouldn't fly anymore with some of the uh, the, the craziness in the kitchens when I yeah. came up in the business. But um, it was great. I loved it. It was, it was one of my favorite experiences. What was your first job outside of school? I went to a restaurant in Venice Beach, kind of a celebrity haunt of a restaurant. Uh, it was called Globe. Uh, and it, was, it used to be called 72 Market Street before that, which was a, a very famous celebrity spot down there. And it was owned by uh, Chef Joseph Manzar. And I basically shucked a million oysters there and <laughs> finally eventually graduated to making the bread every day. And then I was lucky enough to uh, get to graduate to making the pasta every day. And it was very old school. You had to earn your way onto the line. It was a long time before I was even allowed to make a salad in that restaurant. So uh, very thankful for the sort of brigade teaching that I got at Globe Restaurant for sure. Now you uh, gained some acclaim from being on Hell's Kitchen. You were at seasons six and 18. How did you get to be on the program? How, did, how does that work? What's funny, because uh, it, was, it was much later than when I was working at Globe. Where was I working at the time? I had to have been STK uh, when STK opened in uh, West Hollywood or on La Cienega. And there was a talent scout um, you know, just kind of walking into kitchens along the avenue and looking for talent. And uh, I think my chef was the one at the time, my executive chef was asked if he had anyone in his kitchen, any cooks, any sous chefs that they thought would, um, you know, be good for the show. And he told them that they should talk to me. And I was like, no, 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 no. 
you know, that's not why I'm here. And, you know, um, I ended up getting convinced to, he said, I'll listen, I'll even pay you, take the day, go audition. I'll even let you clock in, get your hours. What's it going to hurt you to go and audition? And, you know, I went and there was like thousands of people there and I just didn't really even think it was going to happen. And I just kept making the next cut and the next cut and the next cut. Next thing you know, I've got a call back and then boom, they're calling me. Uh, I think it was Christmas break. They called me and said, we need you to pack up in two weeks and come film. So that was the first time, which was just, it's kind of unreal. I didn't really believe it was happening until it was time to go. And um, it was pretty, pretty intense. The first time was a very long, long sequestering. I think I was gone for like five weeks or something like that. Oh my God. That's a yeah, long it was, time. It was a long time. I might be, it might've been four weeks, but it was, it was, no, 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 it was five weeks for sure. It was five weeks. I remember you know, they hadn't quite mastered the film time and how they could fit into one day. Um, because when I went back, it was definitely a much more condensed filming program. Uh, same length of show, but they did it in half the time. But I just remember we couldn't bring our cell phones. We couldn't talk to our family. I mean, my job was luckily held for me when I came back, you know, which is very kind of them to let me just disappear for five weeks. But I mean, at the time I was you know, young and, and uh, you know, I didn't have any children. So it wasn't, you know, it was fine for me to be gone that long, but it was pretty crazy now that I look back on it. I, I always, I've talked to people in from other shows like the Great British Bake Off and stuff. And I, and I always ask them this because when I watch it, I, I live vicariously through this and I watch it because it's thrilling to me. I, for me, it's like watching a, a sports show for many guys that like sports. It's like exciting. I just can't imagine though doing it. It seems like the pressure would make, I would crack under the pressure. What's it like being on these shows under all this like pressure to like perform and have everything be perfect? I mean, it's, it's, it's very intense and you know, they kind of don't show you how they kind of amp up the pressure even more by kind of sleep depriving you and waking you up at these weird hours in the middle of the night to do challenges and oh you know, People don't realize when you take away music and television and phone and, you know, I mean, yes, back in the day, there was one thing, but once you have all these kind of sensory things and you take that out of the equation, um, all you have is your thoughts and the other people. And people always ask me, like, how is it that on episode one, there's already so much drama between these contestants? You guys just met each other. How could you be a, you know at each other's throats and I'm like well we get thrown in a dorm room together and we got to share bathrooms and we're you know we're there for a couple of days we've got no other output or you know nothing to get away and so all you have is each other and you just start getting annoyed with people and so you right out the gate you've you've created a stressful environment and then you know there's just constant changes and the kitchen's really hot. I know it sounds funny, but I swear they must have the heat on in that kitchen. It's hotter than a normal kitchen. Oh, and those French, flat, those French flat tops are insanely hot. So it's just like blistering heat. I mean, it, it's intense. It's, it's very stressful. Uh, and a lot of people do crack under the pressure. I think that's what happens. People say, oh, well, how, I can't believe a chef would make a mistake like that. How could you How could you do this? And how could you do that? And you really just don't know until you're there in the moment you know dealing with it now in season 18 um you you were the you were named the winner and um 
you were, um, let me, I'm just going to edit that part out. I'm sorry. Let me just sure, redo no that. Way. On season 18 of Hell's Kitchen, you were awarded an executive chef position as the, at Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen restaurant at Caesar Palace in Las Vegas with a 250000 salary. However, you turned its position down and kept the winning salary and the season, you were the season 18 winner title. How did winning feel for you? Uh, winning felt great. I mean, uh, honestly, it was actually the way it worked was it was a hundred thousand dollars salary and then sorry, a hundred a hundred and fifty thousand dollars prize money. So I ended up. I mean, people don't realize it filmed actually two years before it aired because they film a few seasons back to back. So I was one. I was the first one on a two season film run. So I kind of had to like keep my mouth quiet and go about my life for two years before it aired. Um, so it felt great, but it was uh, it was kind of like a lackluster feeling because I couldn't tell anyone for two years. Oh my God, um, I, did, I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't know, did anybody know that's horrible? <laughs> so, I mean, you can't start the job anyway because then people would know you won. So I had, you know, I ended up taking a new job where I worked my way up the ladder. So I had a really great position. When the show finally aired, I had met my, my husband I had a baby and I had this new great position. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm going to move to Las Vegas to take this executive chef role, you know, with a new baby and a new husband. And, and I'm also a co-parent for everyone listening. So, you know, that gets tricky because my husband has a, a daughter with someone else here. Yeah, so it, just, it wasn't it wasn't the right time. So I, I had um, a conversation with uh, Chef Gordon and Chef Christina and they were completely understanding. And, you know, I just said, unfortunately I can't, you know, I just can't pick up and, and go at this time anymore. Thank you. And we're still on great terms. And so I just took the prize money and of the 150, which I earned the prize. <laughs> and I ended up staying in Jersey. Is uh, Gordon Ramsay as intimidating as he seems on television? Uh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't yell and scream like that. I mean, that's definitely part of the Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, everyone's seen him on the other shows. That's not what he does. It's only in that, uh, you know, that uh, what, what's the other show where he goes in and the kitchen's a mess. Oh, my God, I'm blanking out. Yeah, um, Kitchen Nightmares or something. Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. yeah, everyone sees him on Kitchen Nightmares and Hell's Kitchen where the premise is absolutely about him yelling. But, you know, you see him on Next Level Chef and on the uh, you know Nat Geo show and he's much more you know calm and humble and he's very funny but he's absolutely incredibly intimidating when he walks in the kitchen that moment when it's time to start service and he walks and he's much taller than you think too oh he's a very tall man <laughs> my god yeah I would I don't know that, that sounds tough to me you're currently <laughs> a regional vice president of of culinary for Landry's del Frisco and Dos Caminos. Tell us about this work. So my role is, I mean, I eat, breathe and sleep anything that would relate to the culinary department. But I mean, the bulk of my job is really about developing the menus, um, you know, anything around that purchasing, which right now is obviously uh, challenging uh, supply and demand is, is, you know, different than it's ever been. And so I, I have my hands in everything. I, I'm very much involved in the whole business aspect. Uh, but anything and everything that has to do with menu development, sourcing dishes, uh, ingredients for new dishes, 
I do about two menu changes a year per concept. So that's six menu changes. Um, so, I mean, I keep myself pretty busy just, you know, by the time I change the menu, it's time to start looking at, you know, what we're going to do for the next season. And then I, of course, I work with the chefs. Um, I have some concept chefs. I have a lot of executive chefs and sous chefs. So I work with them on training and, you know, safety and systems and all that good corporate stuff. That sounds like that, that sounds, that's pretty impressive. That sounds like quite a bit of work too. Wow. It is, but you know, it, it just, it comes naturally. It, it's kind of like, a, you know, I don't have the same kind of schedule I had when I was in a restaurant. It's definitely different because you're, you're on all the time. Um, but it's just about, you know, deciding what you're going to do and when, and, and kind of, navigating you know what what your focus is and it's important that I'm involved with you know all the teams and getting them up to speed and you know it's funny we're opening three new restaurants this year so we throw restaurant openings into the next two and that's a whole nother animal this episode is sponsored by culinary historians of northern california a bay area educational group dedicated to the study of food drink and culture in human history to learn more about this organization and their work please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. Oh, wow. You know, that does sound like I, anything opening anything, but at restaurants, I think, would be quite intimidating to kind of a lot of pressure to kind of open that, I'm imagining. It is, it is. And it's, um, you know, you got to hire a whole slew of people and it's like that opening date's coming whether you got them or not. <laughs> I think that's probably the scariest part is, is uh, knowing you have to hire a, a whole staff and it's fun though. I like the excitement. It's, it's, it's high energy. It feels like you've accomplished something and there's nothing like that three months in when things are just finally rocking and rolling and it's like, okay, all right, we did it. You have a new book out, Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Cuisine, which made what made you decide to write this cookbook and how did you decide on the theme? This book was a important project for me. You know, I, I grew up with different ethnicities and grandmothers and different cuisines and we traveled a lot. And I remember my childhood was very, very full of flavor. Um, and then I remember going into my young adulthood and you know, I kind of strayed away from some of those things when you're on your own, right? When you move out of the house and you're not around the family cooking, it's, you kind of start just eating, A, what you can afford and uh, you don't really cook like that. So you find yourself straying away when you're in your young adulthood. And then I went into trying to be fit and fitness and healthy lifestyle. And so I went very kind of narrow-minded into this realm of only drinking these juices and this, you know, whatever, all of this super health food. But I just found that I was really missing the flavor. I was really missing the spice in my life. And, you know, I do oversee a Mexican concept as well. So I'm always around this flavorful food, but it wasn't necessarily a part of my home life. And then, you know, I knew that I wanted to introduce all of those flavors from the next generation, right? Because I grew up with all of that and wanted my children to experience that, but I didn't want to sacrifice, you know, the new healthier lifestyle that I was living. So it was just kind of born from the need to 
you know, keep my new lifestyle and the desire to pass on and um, cherish the heritage foods as well. So, and, you know, a lot of these foods in their original state are just not the healthiest for you. So, you know, small tweaks here and there doesn't take much. Uh, small tweaks here and there with certain ingredients and you can really like allow these dishes to shine through like they always did. It's just, you know, you just have to know what you have to sub out and that's really what it was about was, I don't want to give all that stuff up. I want to eat healthy, but I want to, I want some flavor in my life, you know? When I read a lot of cookbooks that are, that are quote unquote healthy and, and I don't think like, this book seems to be a lot of things. I wouldn't like type it because like it seems like it's got a lot of different angles and I wouldn't say it's typical because it's got, I think, I feel like first and foremost, it's got a lot of like personality to it. It really seems like to be from your take on food. And I really liked the way you did a lot of things because it's healthy, but like, I, I swear to God, I've read like, I don't know, three or five cookbooks on healthier cooking in the last year because I'm trying to, but I keep thinking, this seems kind of like work. Like it seems like, it's going to be punishment food. You know, you're going to, you're trying right. to eat healthy and it's going to, you're going to not going to enjoy it. Whereas everything here, I'm looking at it going, I would like everything in this. Everything seems really great. You have some emissions of like sugar and dairy, but nothing seems like you're losing out. Like everything seems like just to all win hundred percent. You got many things here that I've you know, made before and cooked before, but different angles on it that I really liked. I think the one thing I want to mention the most was one thing I made for my family. So I make pozole for my family a lot, but I usually kind of make pozole verde or, or pozole ro rojo, but like I've made it in different ways, but I stuck to the recipe and did it as you instructed and my family really loved it. The one thing I, th I really liked was um, the emission of hominy, but no, there was hominy and then black eyed peas together, which was really nice. And I really kind of liked the juxtaposition of that. And so I want to, and like, also, I really like the fact that you have baby back pork ribs, but also chicken thighs in there too. And just thought it was a very, everybody loved it. Everybody's like, mm, like, like oh, everybody's eating you. it and making like, you know, the appreciative noises when you make something good. So what were you thinking when you wrote this? Well, I mean, that's a great example. I love that recipe. It's a great example of how you really don't have to do much to really kind of make it a lot healthier for you. Um, you know, the usually you make it you're using a, a fatty pork shoulder pork butt and by using the baby back ribs you're getting the pork flavor still but you're you're taking out a lot of the fat by using a different cut of pork but those ribs give you great flavor right and then of course the boneless skinless chicken thighs um, by the time everything kind of braises down I mean as long as you're okay eating chicken pork and, and pork together which I love mixing my proteins in yeah. stews um, you really kind of cut a lot of the fat out for anyone who's looking for a low fat diet. And, and I touch on a lot of different diets, but just like with the hominy is, you know, with the black, black eyed peas um, for anyone listening that doesn't know about beans, uh, you know, beans are, have carbs, but black eyed peas have the least amount of carbs out of all the beans. So um, by taking out half the hominy and putting in the black eyed peas, you, you um, lose that on a lot of the carbs if you're looking for a low carb diet. So I try to touch on, I'm not just one thing, right? I'm not, I don't call myself keto. I don't call myself paleo. I don't call myself, I don't call myself anything. I try to touch on all the different ways that you can minimize or decrease some of the sugar or fats or carbs in your diet, whichever you're going for. But I also note that if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. 
these recipes work in their full fat and full carb form too. So I hope that people will also just look at this as, hey, I need a good Latin and Caribbean cuisine cookbook. I can use this one whether I'm going on a healthy diet or not. So it was important to me that I talked a lot about uh, substitutions, whether you have to, whether you don't have to, um, different um, angles you can take. For example, pumpkin uh, versus butternut squash. They cook and eat almost identically, but pumpkin is definitely lower in sugar, lower in carbs, and has um, uh, some great um, you know, nutrients for you. And so I like to introduce pumpkin or papaya versus using mango all the time. So I really just like you said, it's my take, and thank you so much for the positive feedback. It's it's my take. Uh, you know, all of these things have are full of flavor, but it's just how you can do certain things to improve your health. And it's not about being skinny. Just about you know, yes, if you you know follow these recipes, you will leave a thinner lifestyle. But it's also about mental health as well. A lot of the foods that I use uh, have. Um, aspects to them that really help with mental clarity, good for your heart, good for your brain, good for your blood. So I don't want people to think this is a book. This is a weight loss book. It's not a weight loss book. Um, it, it's an overall, you know, how to have flavor, wellness, health, all wrapped in one. Yeah. Cause I, I like the fact that you didn't really call it, you didn't have like a name, like usually people always attach like keto or, you know, this said that, and, and immediately I almost always get bored because I know it's probably going to be from somebody who doesn't usually cook. I think I, I have yeah. so many times <laughs> where people like they give recipes for rice flour or coconut flour or almond flour, but I always get the sense they don't know what the hell they're doing. And with you, like, I really feel like, for instance, I'm going to give an example. I tried the rum cake and cause I got a new uh, bunt pan and I thought, yeah, I want to try to use this. And, I, and I've always, I had some coconut flour and I thought I really want to try. I've not really, I've been kind of afraid to use it to be honest with you. So I kind of, I made the recipe and it really turned out well and the family really loved it, but nobody felt like it was like weird or unusual. It was like totally like normal. And it made me feel kind of confident to cook with coconut flour. So it kind of, I think the one thing, the takeaway with the book is like, it's got a lot of different stuff in there, like uses of almond flour, um, coconut oil, coconut flour, but it's all like really good applications where you're going to be confident. And I feel like the one thing for me, it's like, like your, your breakfasts are all healthy breakfasts, but they're also good. So it makes you want to eat it. Like you're not going to get up, get up and have to look at something that's like kind of dull and go, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, breakfast is a big one for me because, you know, I try not to do too many substitutions, rather just use ingredients that will have a better, you know, effect on your index, right? To start your day, um, you know, baking. Yeah, you do have to work with substitutions, but breakfast is a big one for me. It's, it's, you know, I don't like cheating myself at breakfast. It's one of my favorite meals. I love breakfast on the weekends with the family or brunch, you know. So, you know, for example, the smoked I, I love a smoked salmon everything bagel, but I can't, you know, I don't eat bagels anymore. Every once yeah. in a while, yeah, of course. I'm not gonna sit here and say I don't enjoy a bagel every once in a while. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have a bagel every once in a while. But um, you know, I love the the Norwegian crisp breads, the seeded breads are they give you all that seeded flavor and a little crunch. And then you get, you know, the cashew cream cheese and the, the smoked salmon, and you get all of the things that you're looking for in that flavor you don't feel heavy and bloated to start your day. So yeah, no, I, I really, 
you know, really wanted to make sure that we weren't losing out on all the good flavors. And I want to mention too, uh, jumping off of that, that you do have instructions on how to make things like the nut butters and the non-dairy, you know, items. So it's like you're helping us stock our pantry with the things we'll want to use too, which I think is wonderful because that doesn't always happen. It's like, oh, get some, buy some nut butter or this or that. And you're, you're actually helping us make our own, which I really liked. And you, you have a lot of recipes for like making your cashew cream cheese, making salsa, chocolate almond butter shake, uh, triple cup papaya, um, smoothie, pumpkin pancakes. There's a lot of just really wonderful family-friendly things. I think that was one thing I liked too, is like, this is good, I think, not just for some like single person trying to get healthy, but this is a good family fare. Like the griddle cake casserole, I would love I would, for breakfast, for dinner, that'd be like a perfect item, right? Yeah, I mean, I have kids, so it's like, you know, you have to, you, you can't cheat them out. I mean, I have a donut recipe in there. You gotta have things for the kids. You can't just, you know, uh, only take care of the grown-ups. So yeah, no, I absolutely uh, have have the, the little ones in mind and are entertaining too. One of one of the things that I really oh sauces are huge for me. So um, you know, if anything, this book has a bunch of different sauces and dressings yeah. that even if you're not going healthy at all, you could use any one of those dressings or sauces and put them on any protein or any salad that you're making. You know, so I liked it as a as a jumping off point too, you know, uh, soup sauces. And, and of course you can buy stuff too. Like I give you a recipe for, like you said, cashew cream cheese, but you can also buy it at Whole Foods if you want. You don't have to use, uh, make it yourself. Yeah. You have some great mains that I really loved and I'm often trying to find meatless Monday stuff. And the Sarepas with jackfruit carnitas looks amazing. And then, you know, you have some like wonderful, you had the um, roast, the pork roasted into the banana leaves, which I can't wait to try. The soups are amazing. This is a great variety of soups for when it starts to get cooler here and we you know, want to have some warming foods and just so many beautiful things. Like I'm really, I want to ask you about the baked empan empanadas because you um, used cassava flour and coconut flour and arrowroot starch. You have some really inventive ways with um, making the empanadas that I really enjoyed. And it makes it look really inviting because people who, who, I love empanadas, I could eat them all day, but if you do that all day, yeah. it's gonna kill you. <laughs> so it's nice to have like a healthy alternative, you know? It's, it's, it's also the, it's not just about, you know, subbing out the flowers, but um, the not, you know, deep frying them if you're looking to, you know, eliminate the, uh, the fat that you get. Because people don't realize even if you um, sub out flowers but still deep fry something, I mean, the amount of oil that gets soaked up when you fry something is, is alarming. And people don't really realize how much it is. But, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure that there was definitely a healthier alternative because it, it's the combination of the, the alternative flour and the baking. So I can feel a lot less guilty about eating that. I've never seen a more beautiful preparation of ceviche than yours. You have just the, the glorious reds from the pomegranate seeds and the um, pink grapefruit juice, just really beautiful. I mean, it just pops oh, out. Thank you. you must've been very happy with the photography, the food photography, because the food photography is amazing in this book. Did, were you really happy to see that when you were producing the book? Absolutely. And, and I want to make sure I give credit to Teddy Wolf because, because I, you know, I just, it was so funny because 
we had a stylist, uh, of course, and then, you know, we had the photography and, and after the session, it's so hard to wait, right? <laughs> you kind of have to just wait and it's like, oh my God, I hope, I hope we got it. I don't know. I don't know how they came out. So um, it was also a test too, because, you know, someone else was making the recipes. So it was like, oh, wow. Okay, let's see. How, this is almost like the test run of someone following it and shooting it at the same time because, uh, you know, the stylist had never made this stuff before. So it was kind of uh, satisfying to, you know, see, oh, okay, they were able to follow the recipe <laughs> and, they, and they were able to, because sometimes it's like you could read it and edit it a million times, but unless it's a person who's never made it before, making it for the first time, you want to make sure that, you know, it works for the next person doing it. Um, so when those photos finally came back, I was, it was so wonderful and thrilling to see your creations, you know, come to life on the page and, and, and they did such a beautiful job with the colors and de definitely, you know, it, it, it's me on a page for sure. I've never seen food photography make salads look so good. <laughs> I, mean I know they did it. They did a wonderful job. I'm very happy with them. Yeah, I mean, I, so as of this airing, the book's going to come out uh, tomorrow as of this airing. How does it feel to have this, what must be like having another baby kind of come out? Uh, this must be very exciting for you. I'm so excited. I can't even put it into words. It's like, it feels like it's been so long in the making and it does feel like another child. I'm, you know, also nervous, you know, are people going to like it? You know, I, everyone's like, oh, you're so confident in this and that. But you know what? Any artist or anyone who has a craft or a trade, it's, you want people to enjoy your work. But above all, I just, I really want to make sure that everyone really knows the message and what it means to me to share um, these foods that I just really, really cherish and enjoy. And I just hope that um, all walks of life will enjoy this book, really. And I, I could not be more excited for tomorrow to come. This book is a winner. I, I just can't imagine anybody not enjoying this. It's really beautiful. And just, I think if they just open it up briefly, they're gonna get hooked. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. So I want to just um, leave with one last question. Um, I like to ask this of my guests. Can you tell us about a meal that you've had recently that was memorable that kind of really stuck in your mind? Oh my gosh, I have to think for one second. <laughs> I've been on the road for work. I'm like, when's the last time <laughs> I had a, had a wonderful uh, meal? Let's see. Uh, hold on, let me think for one second. Oh, you know what? Uh, my husband and I, uh, I mean, we love, we love date night. We love going out to dinner. Um, and, and we, of course, always like to try something new. It's hard when you find a place you really love because it's like, you want to go back there, but there's so many new restaurants that you want to try. And I mean, how often do we get date night, right? With the kids. So it's like, unfortunately, every time it's also kind of a new restaurant. Um, but I recently got to finally try the Donna NG restaurant in New York uh and the italian restaurant and it, it was it was really wonderful the lasagna there and that was a cheat for me because i obviously i don't eat you know regular lasagna very often so i don't know if it's because i don't eat it very often that it was uh one of the best lasagnas i've ever ever had but i think it really was truly uh exceptional and i, and I enjoyed that meal so if you are in new york go to don angie it's worth it uh you will not be disappointed 
Errol, I want to thank you for being on the pro the podcast. And I want to let everybody know again that the book Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Cuisine will be out tomorrow as of this airing. We're also going to post a link to the uh, Amazon link to get the book. You can pre-order it, uh, get a copy while it lasts because it's going to go into reprint. I'll tell you that right now. Errol, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was so wonderful chatting with you. That was my conversation with Chef Ariel Fox. Her book, Spice Kitchen, Healthy Latin and Caribbean Flavors, will be out on August 23rd, which is a Tuesday. This airing is August 22nd, which is a Monday, so it'll be on this tomorrow for you listeners who listened to it on the day it came out. You can order the book ahead of time if you're listening to this on the Monday. After that, you can order it in real time, anytime you want, on Amazon or through other vendors. Or... If you live in the Bay Area, you can go to Better Bookstores and get it there. Omnivore Books in San Francisco is a fine example of one of our Better Bookstores. I hope you um, enjoyed this episode and will be with us next week on our second episode of Season 8. We're going to have Tara Jensen with her book Flower Power, The Practice and Pursuit of Baking Sourdough Bread, which will also be coming out that week as well. So we're having a lot of uh, new books coming out. And you're going to be able to hear her talk about her wonderful book and her career in baking bread. It's going to be a really wonderful conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. I hope you all have a really lovely week, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. It's been a pleasure to be doing this, and I'm so excited and happy to be doing an eighth season. I hope you all have a really wonderful week, and keep on cooking. I've been getting better, better than you.